Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dotchis-Marmette. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Happy September. I can't believe it's already September, Marnie, but that means fall's right around the corner, and that's time for our next quarterly seven-day community liver detox. I'm so ready for it. It's back to school time and the weather starting to change. Sadly, the weather starting to change. And um, I'm really just ready to like get back into my healthy eating habits. I feel like this summer, you know, I've kind of been traversing and swinging between old habits and new habits, and I'm just ready to get on track. Absolutely. And I think that's what we want to talk about. Yeah. You know, Yes, Marnie and I, you know, are passionate about eating healthy, but that doesn't mean that we don't get off track either. And, you know, sometimes those unhealthy eating habits that we um, sometimes go back to are hard to break. And that's why happy September falls just around the corner. And that means it's time for our quarterly seven-day community liver detox. So we'd love to have you join our supportive community to take your health to the next level. I know these past few months have been so emotional. There's been so much uncertainty in the state of the world. There, all the, just all the additional stress that resulted in, has resulted in so many of us, including Marnie and myself, um, getting off track with our healthy habits. And really, sometimes we're, you know, it's very easy to go back to the old ways of eating and some of the emotional attachment that food plays. And as much as we've loved like cooking so many wonderful meals at home and having time to bake and make comfort foods and summer cocktails, we both feel like we need this reset. And we really hope that you'll join us on this um, experience because it really has amazing benefits. And I think being part of the community is not only beneficial for all of our participants, but it really helps Marnie and I too. We thrive off of the support and energy of this group. So we'd love for you to join us. You can head on over to our website to sign up or get more information. And that's www.theartoflivingwell.us slash program. And the detox starts September 21st at seven days, ends September 27th. And we would truly love to have you join us. And if you're wondering how you can possibly make it seven whole days without sugar or alcohol, drop us a note, message us with questions, but we will be there to support you every step of the way. And we have to do it too. So we're all in it together. (laughs) We have a quick request for all our listeners. If you're enjoying the Art of Living Well podcast, we would so appreciate it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and take a moment to rate and review the Art of Living Well podcast. That really helps us in our rankings. 
and our visibility so other listeners can find us throughout the world. Thank you so much. Hello, and welcome to episode 44 of the Art of Living Well podcast. Today's guest is Krista Margolis. Krista is a board-certified women's healthcare nurse practitioner, and she's a registered nurse, and she has more than 20 years' experience caring for women in various settings, including community teen clinics and private OB-GYN practices. Krista is passionate about all-around healthy living, whether it's eating well, getting exercise, nurturing relationships, reducing stress, or just having fun. She really believes in each woman's right to choose what works best for her and for her family. Her goal is to give women the tools to help them feel their best at every stage, phase, and transition in life. Krista resides in Minneapolis with her three children and her dog, and we are so, and her husband, of course, and we're so excited to have her here. I met Krista um, back when my middle daughter and her oldest son were in preschool together. Um, I think they were in school together for a number of years. And then my youngest daughter and her middle daughter were also in preschool together, and they were besties for a long time in preschool. So super fun to reconnect with you, Krista, and thank you for being on the show today. Krista, we are so excited to have you on our podcast today. Thank you so much for taking the time for our conversation. Can you start out by sharing a little bit about your background and your story that ultimately led you to where you are today? I know you started out as a nurse and then you went on to train in functional medicine. Can you tell us a little bit about all that? Absolutely. It's great to be here. I love that you guys um, do this podcast. It's so awesome. Um, yeah, so I uh, went to nursing school at the University of Minnesota, and I always knew I wanted to be in medicine. Um, started out pre-med and then decided that nursing was kind of more my calling and um, finished nursing school there and then went on to become a nurse practitioner a few years later and have been in women's health the whole time. I've never done anything other. So sometimes I joke that I'm not really a real nurse because I didn't do hospital nursing or you know, some of the more intense nursing. Um, and then um, you know, I always have had kind of a leaning towards more natural um, options and natural health. And so when I was on a little pause from my nurse practitioner, um, job after I had my third baby, it's when I sort of pursued more of that integrative health piece and took some functional medicine training and just kind of kept learning and adding to, to options and ways that I knew to take care of people. Um, and then that kind of landed me where I'm at today, which is in a, a you know, conventional OBGYN clinic with the ability to, to practice um, for patients who want it, some of the more kind of natural um, therapies. That's great. Can you explain for our listeners like what functional medicine is and maybe a little bit about that training sure. that differs from more traditional approach? Yeah. So functional medicine, you kind of picture a big tree and in more conventional medicine, you know, if the symptoms are all, um, you know, on the branches, the, the, the symptoms that someone's having are the branches and the leaves, we kind of treat just those things. You know, we give a med we give a pill, we take care of this one thing, 
at a time. You know, you've got high blood pressure, let's treat that. And then this, and then this, and then this. We're not going down to the roots. We're not going, okay, why does this woman have, you know, A, B, C, and D? Let's figure out, you know, if they're all connected. Because nine out of 10 times, they are. You know, um, you know, an example would be like sleep. I mean, how many women do we all know, maybe including ourselves, where sleep is, a, is an issue? Well, if you're not sleeping well, guess what? You might have issues with your diet and your weight. And you also might have issues with anxiety or depression. And then you might have issues, you know, with certain other things. It all comes down to kind of that, that the roots of the tree. How can we get to the root cause? How can we fix what's really going on? And sometimes it's, it's, sometimes it's easy because it's just things that people haven't realized. Like, oh, I need to address that, you know, that event in my life that is causing me anxiety and sleeplessness, or I need to address the fact that I don't get off the couch. Okay. You know, you kind of look at um, uh, the lifestyle and get to the root cause of why people are suffering. Yeah, I love that a- analogy. And I mean, Marnie, you and I both like love functional medicine. We've studied it where, you know, we understand what that entails. I've never heard that analogy. And it's so simple yeah, to describe it to anyone. Right. I was literally just going to say the same thing. Like, I love the way you just explained that with the tree and the roots and the branches. Like, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's how, I mean, that's how I learned it. I was like, when I first learned it, I was like, just like you, I mean, I was like, oh, that makes sense. You know, if we're going to actually heal and, 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 and be, you know, you guys have the art of living well podcast. If we're going to live well and with wellness, we can't just put a bandaid over right. the stuff for feeling. Oh my gosh. Yes. I love what you just said too. And how you all yeah. tied that into living well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, and it's, sometimes it's a lot of hard work. A lot of times it's a lot of hard work. Um, but I think we all know too. I, and I, again, I, I say women cause I, that's just my focus. I, mm-hmm. I joke, I don't know what to do with a man when he walks me off. <laughs> but I just don't, I'm like, I don't know. Um, but it, we get to a certain age where we, 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 we have to be honest with ourselves. We're like, I don't feel great. What is going on? You know, mm-hmm. and you, then you start breaking it down and figuring it out. So what services do you provide to women? Um, so really everything. I mean, I see, you know, starting with about age, you know, 13 or 14, um, you know, girls who are having issues with their periods or wanting birth control or whatever, um, all the way through menopause. So we do, you know, uh, the, uh, the biggest part of my practice is annual exams, you know, yearly visits, um, a lot, you know, pregnant women. I do some, I do, pre- I do OB visits, not a ton because we have, I don't do deliveries. So our midwives and OBs physicians do more of that, but I definitely see people throughout pregnancy. Um, you know, I do a lot of perimenopause visits and menopause consults. Um, and then all the kind of gynecological issues that can occur, you know, abnormal mm-hmm. bleeding, um, you know, amenorrhea, absence of bleeding, um, you know, breast issues, um, you know, STD checks, you know, birth control consults, kind of all of, all of those things. So. So you mentioned perimenopause. Can you mm-hmm. tell us, first of all, what is that? What is the difference between perimenopause and menopause um, yeah. to start with? Great, great question. Um, so perimenopause is, well, let's start first actually with the definition of menopause. Menopause is defined as 12 consecutive months without your period. So, you know, you can go four months with no period, 
and then get a period. Okay, you're starting over. So when you've had 12 consecutive months of no period, you're now, you can say, I am in menopause. Or there's artificial menopause, you know, getting everything removed, you know, getting uterus and a complete hysterectomy. Well, now you're in kind of a forced menopause. But perimenopause is anything leading up to that, that kind of final menopause. And for women, I mean, what we know is that shifts can start to happen, not even shifts that you necessarily notice, but hormonal shifts can start to happen as early as mid to late 30s, definitely, you know, 40, early 40s. And as the 40s go on, some women will notice things. Some people notice absolutely nothing. Other people are like, why am I, you know, why do I have brain fog? Why am I waking up in the middle of the night, you know, here and there? Why? Are my periods a little wonky? They used to be 28 days. Now they're, you know, they're not crazy, but they're not exact anymore. You know, these more subtle things. Um, and for a lot of women, those subtle symptoms get increased and heighten as menopause gets closer. But again, not everybody. You'll have the range of someone who barely notices it and is all of a sudden like, oh, I'm done. I have another period in a year. Okay, you know, that's that. And then there's women who really struggle every single step of the way and there's everything in between well and then if you have like something like an iud for instance yep how do you even know because you may not be getting a period or exactly you You, yep you may not be getting a period so you can't use that and with an with a lot of the iud's you know you're getting that little bit of progesterone which is the first thing that typically starts to shift in perimenopause it's a drop in progesterone so if you're getting even that small amount from the iud you're kind of maybe not noticing some of these things that other women might be noticing. So, and that's fine. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, you just have to kind of know your own body and where things are, are at. And, and so what are, you know, thinking through, how do you work with women who are having some of these symptoms? Maybe we can mm-hmm. dive into what they are. You know, a lot yep. of us talk, hear about, night sweats, right? Yes. Um, or the weight gain. And, you know, talk about maybe some holistic things that people can do to help with those symptoms. Yep. So what we know for most of perimenopause, that it's the biggest message I always give to women is, you know, they come in and they're, they're, they've been somehow, I'm crazy. What's going on with me? What's wrong with me? You know, it's always this as women, we do, we love to, um, blame ourselves. You know, there's this idea that we're somehow, broken. You know, there's something, um, I'm not working. Well, no, no, that is not, that's, that's not fair to us. I mean, you know, women born, you know, late 1800s, they didn't live to this, to this point, you know, they didn't get to the, you know, fifties to that kind of later, you know, there's a whole lifetime that happens after menopause. I mean, we've got literally an entire, you know, 30 years or more after menopause, so it's, it's not this dried up, useless, you know, ah, you're, you're done time, you know, and it, and it's, it's kind of been thought of like that. Mostly if you look historically by kind of a male dominated medical world. And, and I, I'd love to change that because we're not broken. There's nothing wrong. Look what our bodies do for all of those years, starting in puberty. Well, starting at birth, we're born with all of the follicles we'll ever need we can create human beings, we can grow human beings, we give birth to human beings, we feed human beings. I mean, you know, so we're on this cycle, but we reach a point where literally our bodies are like, ah, I'm done. I don't need to do this anymore. You know, I don't need to 
create this life anymore. I don't need to do this. Fine. But that causes a shift in our bodies. And it's a shift that is hard for some because these hormones are our friends. You know, our, the, the hormones native to our body, you know, hormones get a bad name in so many ways, but these hormones that have been fueling us are important. And once they start diminishing, we feel it or a lot of us feel it. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, in terms of what's mainly happening in perimenopause, that's what it is. It's a hormonal shift. It's an, it's an imbalance, if you will, but not, not an imbalance where, oh, there's something wrong with you. You have to fix it. It's an imbalance of, it's a transition. And that's all that perimenopause is, is a time of transition, which we all know, right? Anyone who practices yoga, anyone who's been through difficult challenges in life, transition is the hard spot. You know, it's mm -hmm. where the work happens. And um, that's what perimenopause is. So it's kind of thinking of it as, okay, I need some support to get me through this transition, but I'm going to be okay. It's going to be fine on the other side. You know, it's not, it's not something to fear. Um, so in terms of the, the symptoms, I mean, yeah, I would say night sweats and hot flashes, weight gain, sleep. Those are probably the top, the top things I hear. And for a lot of women, the sleep is happening because of the night sweats. They don't even realize it, but they're waking up at three in the morning. And when I ask them, I'm like, when you wake up, are you warm? They're like, oh, I'm going to pay attention to that. Boom. I get a message two days later. Oh my God, I'm waking up and I'm completely sweating. I'm dripping, you know? So then it's kind of going through some sleep hygiene. Okay. How can you get more comfortable? How can you change your sheets, change your bedding, change what you're wearing to bed? you know, have a fan on, you know, kind of go through some of the more environmental ways to prevent the night sweats from happening. Because if you can help out with that, you're maybe not going to wake up as frequently or as easily. Um, and, you know, in terms of, you know, hot flashes during the day, that's primarily an estrogen, a response to low estrogen. Um, so again, the way we know to help it is by giving estrogen. Not everyone can, should, or wants to take estrogen. So there are many ways. There are plant-based estrogens. Um, you know, there are more, um, you know, what's called bioidentical estrogens that are, they're still hormones. So if you're someone who can't take hormones, these are not your answer, but they're hormones that are more, they're molecularly the, the exact same as what we make in our body. They're still made in a lab, but they're made to, kind of fit right into that estrogen receptor perfectly to relieve us of these symptoms. And the whole thing with hormones is it's gone all over, all over the place in terms of they're good, they're bad, they're horrible, they're this. Everyone was taking them, you know, probably all of our mothers, grandma, a mm -hmm. lot of grandmothers. And then in 2002, there was the huge women's health initiative. Everyone went off their hormones because the message was they're bad, get off, they're going to kill you. Well, within six months, the phones were ringing off the hook, people saying, I need my hormones. And what we've learned in extensive, like breaking down that study for the past, well, now almost 20 years, is they work. They are safe when you're an appropriate candidate and we can dose you appropriately for a short amount of time to get you through the transition. So it's a personal conversation with your provider if you're someone who has had, you know, um, breast cancer, certain kinds of cancer, you're not going to be a candidate. So then we, you know, look at other options. And, and a lot of women who don't have that risk factor look at other options. Um, and there's, there's, a, there's a million other options to kind of 
to kind of visit, you know, and to discuss with your provider. Can you, you know, what are some of the other, you mentioned plant-based estrogen. Yeah. So, and on the food and lifestyle type of Path, yes. Yep. Absolutely. So for things like, like, let's just kind of say hot flashes. Like I said, we know it's an estrogen um, kind of base thing. We can start with lifestyle, you know, in, in not addressing the estrogen right away, we can start with lifestyle. So you kind of think, learn your triggers with hot flashes. For a lot of women, caffeine, absolute trigger. Um, um, alcohol can be a huge trigger. So a lot of women I mean, it becomes a joke when I teach this perimenopause class that I convert everyone from being a wine drinker to being like a vodka or tequila drinker because they don't have the same <laughs> amount of sugar and they work a little better. And it, and it, and it, it people have noticed a difference. Um, so they'll think about your alcohol, sugar intake. We know what processed, you know, complex carbohydrate carbohydrates, the sugars. We know what that does. We all know. We've heard the buzzword, you know, whole foods, you know, get rid of the processed sugar. That has been studied and looked at with hot flashes. So addressing that, um, stress. Stress is a huge contributor to hot flashes. So that's a hard one. I mean, a lot of these are hard ones because, you know, you say to someone, um, okay, yeah, all you have to do is stop drinking wine, stop eating sugar, eat better, (laughs) um, and get rid of your stress, and you're going to have no hot flashes. (laughs) Look at you, and they're like... Okay, bye. You know, it's not realistic, but it's putting all this stuff together, you know, and making a plan. So finding the way to address your stress level, mindfulness, you know, yoga, nature, um, you know, whatever that is, you know, speaking to a therapist, I mean, exercise, whatever it is that you do to, to manage or address your stress is really important during this phase. Um, and then there's environmental things. Obviously, being in a heat, heated environment, you know, hot tub saunas, a lot of heat, you know, summer months can be can trigger hot flashes. That one's kind of obvious. Um, smoking, huge, huge trigger for hot flashes. So addressing a lot of those things. And then in terms of um, the uh, um, estrogen piece, we know that um, certain foods, so flaxseed, um, can be really helpful. And it can be, I always have to look up, I think the dose is, yeah, it's about 30 to 50 grams daily. So one tablespoon of ground flaxseed is about 15 grams of, contains this plant-based estrogen, these um, isoflavins. So if you are just buy some ground flaxseed and you think, I'm going to add it to kind of whatever I eat today, a smoothie, uh, my oatmeal, um, you know, you can even throw it in your coffee. I mean, you're adding in something that's going to help. Now, is that going to diminish and get rid of all your hot flashes? No. But again, if you're kind of listing all these things and adding it in, it can make a huge difference. Um, soy foods or soy extract are another beneficial one. Soy tends to be a little more controversial. Um, and, you know, the stuff I read is always, it's, it's kind of like it rides that line of should women use it? Should women not use it? And I, I, I find answers going both ways whenever in I, terms of tofu are you talking yep, about tofu, tofu? Um, there's um what else you know soy milk tofu um edamame um what are some other um, so i had heard a rule of thumb and i don't know if this is good or not but yep. one to two times a week max yeah and i think that's I, that's yes and i would agree with that i would totally that's kind of my it's kind of like a it's kind of what i say about fish you know certain fish like uh-huh. you can't eat without these things but don't make them the mainstay of your diet. Yeah. You know, 
Um, and again, soy is one of those things you don't want to be going crazy with it if you have a history of breast, ovarian, or uterine cancer, any kind of hormone responsive cancer. Um, you know, you, I think it's still safe to use it in small doses, but you don't want to have it be like where you have a 100% soy based diet, you know? Right. Um, and um, those are kind of the biggest, the two biggest food things. The one, um, the main herb that's been studied for hot flashes and, um, you know, in terms of helping replace that bit of estrogen is black cohosh. Um, and I, you know, there's, there's other ones that have been said, oh, um, red clover, um, even some DHEA, you know, the um, precursor to testosterone. Mm -hmm. Those have been looked at. The studies aren't as clear, but black cohosh has definitely been shown to help reduce hot flashes. Um, and the usual dose is about 20 to 40 milligrams twice a day. So Can I you... tell people take it in the morning, take it at night. If it's too hard for you to remember twice a day. Oops, sorry. Yep. Can you spell what you're saying? Cohosh. Yep. C-O-H-O-S-H. Black cohosh. And, and, you know, people always say, well, where can I find this stuff? And that's a great question. And my, um, I mean, you know, I have um, relationships with, with some of the supplement companies, you know, that, that are, and I help people, um, you know, with that, you know, getting um, certain herbs and supplements through them. The other recommendation that I honestly have found to work so well is local small co-ops. So like Lake Winds is one of my favorites, the Linden Hills Co-op. Um, you know, there's a few of them around where those people, they know their stuff. And if you know what you're looking for, you know, if you're like, okay, I need a black cohosh where I can take 20 milligrams twice a day, they can help guide you to what they have. And, and, you know, those places have vetted, um, their, the manufacturers, the, the places that they buy from, and I trust the products that they have. Um, that's great. That's great advice. And I love hearing that there's an herb that can help mm -hmm. get the hot flashes. Yep. 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 And I've had great, great results. It doesn't work for everybody. You know, again, this is where it's that like, uh, you know, some people will try it and they're like, I can't get through. And the extremes are not that, that common, but I have had patients that are like, I tried it. It helps a little. I'm still hot flashing, you know, multiple times an hour. I'm sitting there in a meeting at work. I, she, then they're like, I need, I need something more, something you know, more. and then they might go for the estrogen, you know, and then they do that for six months, a year, you know, to kind of get through the hump and then, and then it's better. So one question I have for you is just how long does perimenopause usually last? I know that's a, yeah. an average, but yeah. just based on what you've seen statistically, yeah. someone yeah. out there that's not quite there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a great question. Again, I think if we could have be a little, a little tiny, you know, microscopic camera floating through our bodies, we'd see some of these changes start to happen again to throw out a number let's say around age 40 you know things start to shift again you might not be noticing anything you know i would say on average what i see is it's that like early to mid 40s where i'll start to get the like i mean that's the average age of the people that come to my perimenopause workshop that i do at the clinic where they're like yeah I'm noticing my sleep is different or you know they start to notice these things they're not majorly affecting their quality of life I would say closer to 50 is like, okay, if, it, if it's a woman who's going to 
struggle, who's going to have issues. It's those later forties where they're like, all right, now this is, I, this, yeah, now, now this means business. Okay. What, what do I need to do? So, I mean, maybe on average, I would say a woman maybe has a handful of years of, of, of this shift and changing again, the, the level of discomfort or, you know, what they're suffering from is, is super variable. Well, and I hear a lot, you know, I'm in that 40, how old am I? 47 (laughs) age range. And I hear even friends saying, you know, I'm eating well, I'm exercising, I'm living a healthy life and I have all this belly fat or I can't get rid of it anymore. And I used to be able to, you know, it wasn't a problem. And I have to think that that's part of your hormone shift that you're talking about. And, you know, is there anything women can do to address that? Yeah. I mean, there's, there actually are, and it's, it is hands down one of the, like the most frustrating ones too. I think, you know, especially like our, um, our age group, you know, I'm also 47. And I think that like, um, what we've, we've been raised or not been raised, but I think as adults, we've been in the working out culture, right? We all have our gym memberships and we're active and we, you know, much more so than like, again, my mom was at this stage of life. And we know about eating healthy most, you know, and again, I'm talking about, when I talk about this, I'm talking about the population I mainly see, which is Mm -hmm. Edina, which is, you know, a, a more, you know, affluent group of people. So when I'm talking about this, I, I'm, I'm realizing that I'm not addressing the, the, everybody who has access to a lot of these things. Um, mm-hmm. you know, as I think, as we all know, and you guys probably know better than most, access to a lot of this stuff, it, I mean, it costs money. You know, it's, it's unfortunately expensive to be healthy, you know, sometimes, and, or it can be. Um, and that's, that's a, a whole other topic. But um, so, yeah, I get a lot of people, they're like, I'm eating healthier than I've ever eaten in my entire life. You know, I've cut out this, I'm eating that. I'm eating the good fats, you know, they're, they're doing all the kind of right things. And they're like, why, what's with this belly fat? And it's our, <laughs> our bodies have an interesting way. I don't know why the design worked like this or why this happened. Um, but estrogen is, is made in many parts of our body, not just in our ovaries and in our, um, um, you know, sex glands, but it's also made in belly fat and stored in belly fat it's made in we have estrogen receptors in our brain. So there's estrogen, you know, in our brains. It's in a lot of places, in our peripheral nerves. You know, it's not just in the, the places we think of it. For, for whatever reason, our bodies, as we're losing that estrogen and it's declining, are, are in an attempt to kind of preserve that fertility and an attempt to kind of hang on, you know, hang on for dear life to that, that, that last bit of estrogen, the belly fat is a place where it gets stored. And it's just a hard place to get rid of it. I, I don't know why that is. I've tried to figure out why our bodies did that. I think if I, if you think back to kind of way back when, it's a protective measure. You know, that's the area that protects those vital reproductive organs. I don't know. But I do know that our bodies will hold on to it. They will hold on to the estrogen in, in the fat around our belly. And there's a few other reasons too, that that belly fat kind of is there. Number one, we think about, um, you know, kind of, if we think of three kind of physiologic causes of belly fat, one would be like an insulin resistance. Not, 
not saying we're all walking around diabetic, but the diets we've primarily eaten in this, again, growing up in the 70s, 80s, a um, lot of high carbs, less sugar, alcohol, our cells reach a point where they kind of um, don't respond to insulin as well. And that leads to an elevated um, state of, of blood sugar, free-floating blood sugar, and it's a quick conversion of sugar to fat. The second kind of physiological cause is an adrenal imbalance. You know, we all hear the adrenal fatigue. It's a, it's a, it's a buzzword. I wholeheartedly believe in it. And I, I, I think a lot of women, and I would, I would think that even right now in the stage we're in, in current pandemic situation and with things going on in life, people are feeling this. Um, but, you know, during times of stress, our adrenal glands release cortisol and adrenaline to help us with fight or flight. I mean, everyone kind of knows how that works. During that, that quick fight or flight, we get a bolus. We get a big jolt of blood sugar released. We need it. That's how, you know, you hear the stories of the mom, you know, lifting a heavy object off her child. You know, that's, that's glucose that's allowing us to do that. Our modern stress rarely requires us to have that extreme of a reaction, but we have stress all the time. It's that continual stress, stress. It would just lead stressful lives. And so all those, that extra adrenal kind of output um, is causing, um, you know, that again, more fight or flight and causing those extra calories to be stored. They have to go somewhere and they tend to be stored as belly fat. And then the third physiologic cause would be kind of what we've been talking about is the sex hormone imbalance. So just, again, what I first said about um, that drop of estrogen, our, our, the extra fat in our belly will, will, will hold on to it kind of in a way of, of preserving, you know, preserving that, that life force that we have. And so, sorry, you know, to, to address it, we're kind of looking at the same, the same things we've talked about. I mean, diet, 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 you know, what are we mm -hmm. really looking at your intake? What are you eating? And this is where I tell people, this is where meeting with a good nutritionist, you know, a functional nutritionist who, who understands women's health and hormonal health can be super helpful, you know, for, for your body type, for your exercise, you know, what are you kind of doing? What's your activity level? What should you be eating? You know, what should you be, be putting in there? Um, we all know a good balance of carbs, proteins, fat. Fat is so important. And so many women still think of fat as bad. Um, so looking at that, and then in terms of, you know, the exercise, it's strength building. And that's another thing I, I can't say enough is, you know, we're all, a lot of people are so focused on cardio and it's important for heart health and we have to keep doing it, but we have to be doing kind of old school strength work as women. Mm -hmm. We know that that helps balance hormones. Um, so, you know, figuring out how you can get that in um, and then looking at your hormonal balancing. What, what needs to happen in terms of keeping those hormones balanced? You know, do you need that little bit of estrogen? Do you need the herbs to help kind of support it? You know, that's a whole, a whole piece of it also. I love everything you said, Krista. And I think I mean, Marnie and I kind of talk about all these, all these different, you know, yeah. tips and pieces of advice that you had. But think about incorporating some of these, regardless of how old you are right now. And for the moms out there that have teens that are entering, you know, just starting to get their period, everything you talked about can help mitigate just the normal PMS symptoms years before you ever go into perimenopause. Absolutely. And so if you can start building some of these into your life now, as it relates to diet in particular and exercise and stress. My guess is, you know, 
hindsight's 2020 here, but if I had been doing this for the last 20 years, maybe when I do hit my 40s and early 50s, my symptoms won't be as bad, right? I, yes, yes, I, I, I believe that, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, and you mentioned a great thing with PMS. That's a, um, another thing I see a lot of, and a lot of these things we talk about, the exact same thing I tell people, you know, with PMS. I mean, you know, it's, it's not an abnormal thing. You know, a lot of people say, oh, if you're experiencing PMS, you're doing something wrong. Well, I don't totally agree with that. Our hormones are doing what they're doing every month, right? I mean, you have mm -hmm. the rise at the beginning of the cycle, you know, your progesterone stays up here, and then you have this sudden drop, it's very similar to postpartum. It's a very, very similar, you know, thing that's going on in our bodies. And some of us are just more sensitive to that drop. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I personally, absolutely am. Um, I feel it, you know, I felt it postpartum. So um, it's just kind of knowing that and knowing the ways to address it, like you said. There's, there's so much we could talk about on this oh, yeah. subject. Yeah. I feel like we could go on and on and on. Yeah. Um, I want to change gears a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about sex? Oh, yeah. um, I'm wondering, you know, what about sex drive in women as mm -hmm. they are, you know, hitting that perimenopause stage? Yep. I know I, you know, just in talking with friends and whatever, I hear some women have like no sex drive. They just yep. no interest in sex. And then other people, it's like they've, they've kind of gone through those rough childbearing years and now yep. they're like, oh my God, I just want to have hot sex. Yep. Like <laughs> there's this huge swing between yes. women in this age group. And um, I'm wondering what you think about that and what advice you have. Yeah, that's, it's funny because for 20 years, I have literally said, like I say this to patients, I'm like, really, if I had a nickel for every time a woman sat there and when we're going over like for a, an annual exam, okay, you know, we touch on all the different points of life. When it comes to that question, it's, I mean, it's the, the unfortunately, the more, the, the, the um, not common answer is it's amazing. It's great, <laughs> but it happens. And when that happens, I'm always like, awesome. Good for you. Right. More times. Like, what really, are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, right, right. More times than not. It's, uh, it's not a like, oh, it's miserable. I hate it. It's the, it's the, what I just said, Ugh. you know, um, oh, my husband, you know, wishes it was more, you know, the same thing we hear. And, and the same thing women say is once I, once it's happening, it's great. It's awesome. But it's like the drive isn't necessarily there. And they're kind of like, and they're like, I feel bad. I feel bad. I could just live without it. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's a problem, right? I mean, we should it, it, we, that should, I hate to say the word should, it would be nice if we all were walking around a little more like, let's do it. <laughs> so, but you know, we're not. And I do think, I think something you said, Marnie is so part of it. We go through those years of, oh my God, if one more person touches me, I'm going <laughs> to lose my mind. You know, it's just, we're just tired. We do so much as women and as moms. And you know, we, we just, it's just what we do. Um, the whole, you know, libido in perimenopause is definitely an issue because guess what? Estrogen, estrogen helps with arousal. Estrogen is part of orgasm. I mean, estrogen's a big part of all of it. But interestingly enough, I totally agree with you, Marnie. There are people in this age group who are like, I'm having the best sex I've ever had. I think there's a lot going on. So let's break down the physiological piece of 
if you're someone who's had a really healthy libido and you're noticing it's dropped, that's most likely an, a response to the hormonal changes of perimenopause. Estrogen dropping, things, you know, just not being as exciting. And then post-menopause, kind of once you're there, a huge complaint is vaginal dryness. The good news is that is pretty easily fixed with some vaginal estrogen, which is safe, which is okay to take, even if you've you know, had a, a not good, healthy relationship. You know, if you can't take home, um, like oral estrogen, it is okay to use it vaginally and it does help. So, so can I that, ask you a question yeah, about that? Just because yeah. yep. I'm, I'm not familiar with that. Yep. Is yep. that different than like a KY jelly kind yes. of yep. vaginal yep. dryness yep. or... Yep. Yep. And KY will, can work for a lot of people. But what happens is the, the estrogen is like, if you, you know, think about, uh, if you think about the, the vulva, the vagina, they're just perfused with estrogen all the time. And it's that pink, supple, you know, moist, just like the inside of our mouths, you know, it's, it's a mucous membrane. Without estrogen, everything becomes more dry. Our, I mean, that's why women tend to get injured more you know, kind of when they're working out, our joints don't have as much synovial fluid. I mean, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a drying effect without the estrogen. People talk about having dry mouth, dry eyes, you know, when they're going through menopause. Hmm. And that's why. Um, but dry vagina, for sure. You know, I'm not saying everyone will have that, but it's definitely noticeable. I mean, we will, I can tell by looking at a woman's vulva, if, if she's got enough estrogen or not, you know, it becomes more pale and white and really thin. So you think about that versus supple and, and, you know, lubricated sex is not going to feel good when it's dry and thin and, um, you know, not, not as perfused with, with lubrication. I mean, oh, so that's where the vaginal estrogen can be super helpful. There's creams, there's gels, there's um, a vaginal ring with estrogen, there's little caplets, little tiny intravaginal caplets you can insert, and they work. They work very well for that. They're just kind of perfusing that tissue just where it needs to be. So you're not having the risk of swallowing it and having it go through the liver and having systemic absorption. It's the vaginal estrogen is just vaginal estrogen is just going where it's needed. If, if, you know, cause I have plenty of women who get through menopause and they're like, okay, I feel fine. I have a few hot flashes, but I have vaginal dryness and sex is painful. So that's, you know, that's a way to address that. And how does um, someone, is that a prescription over the counter? Yes. Yep. That's that? a prescription. That is a prescription. Yep. And, and easy, you know, not, a, not a hard thing to get. I mean, it's well studied, you know, it's a, and it works. It definitely, you know, works for people. So um, you know, the problem is some people are like, well, you know, we're, you know, just to throw in a number, say it's a 60 year old woman. And she's like, ah, oh, the drive isn't really there for either of us. So, well, you know, maybe here and there have sex. And she thinks that just using the estrogen the night before she has sex is going to make a difference. Well, no, you know, that it has to be able to, you know, respond and have time. But again, they, they, you know, people live and learn. They're like, oh, okay, I have to actually use this regularly to have the effect. <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so that's the one piece of libido, you know, that, and then we can look at, you know, when you, it's probably the hardest thing to say, oh, do this, this, and this, and it'll be great. We all know that's not the answer. I mean, a, a lot of people, if they pay attention, if they're not on any kind of like 
hormonal birth control or whatever, a lot of people can really follow it with their cycle. And it's, it's, I think it's fascinating when people actually really spend a month or two watching what happens. And by that, generally speaking, around that time of ovulation for women who are still cycling regularly, it's amazing. People are like, I kind of feel like an animal in some ways. They're like, <laughs> all of a sudden they're like, hey, wh- where's my mate? Where, where's my partner? You know, but the interesting thing is as women, you know, and again, if we think about it from a very mammal point of view, there's a few days where we're like, all right, bring it on. The rest of the month, we can kind of be like, eh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, and because again, there's that internal, you know, very in our DNA drive to, to procreate, whether you ever have kids or not, it doesn't, that, that doesn't matter. It's what our body's kind of telling us, you know, we are mammals. Um, and you think about mammals out in the wild, you know, the females release a certain scent, you know, when they're, when they're ovulating and the males find them. And I mean, it's just, it's interesting when you think about it from that point of view too. I love how you talk about it like that. And I just have something just quickly came in my head, seed cycling. And you talked about flaxseed earlier. Yep. What have you found? Like, what have you seen? Does that help with overall menstrual cycle, but specifically as it relates to sex drive and estrogen? Yeah, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't know that much about it. I haven't, I mean, I've read a little bit about it, but I haven't done a lot with it. So I can't, I can't totally answer that, you know, with, with any evidential, you know, or, or, um, you know, put in practice um, kind of answers. Okay. I was just Uh, curious. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm actually curious too. I mean, I need to kind of think about that. I'm actually doing it right now, but we'll. Oh, interesting. I'd love to talk to you about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Conversation here. Right. Right. Um, can we pivot a little bit here? Um, tweens and teens in sexual health. Yeah. I know there's probably a lot of moms listening. Um, what's the best way to talk about these issues with your teens? And I think you do some workshops. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'd love to I, learn I, a little bit more. Yeah. I love this area too. I think it's so, it's for a million reasons. I think the number one reason is empowerment. I mean, we all know, uh, you know, I know you both have daughters. I have daughters um, and I have a son and there's so much, first of all, going on in our world, right? Where we hear these stories and girls just, we don't teach them enough assertiveness, I think is where it first of all starts. We, 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 you know, and I was raised, you know, like we teach girls to be careful and to be Mm -hmm. safe and to not draw too much attention. We teach boys something kind of different. And, you know, I don't know if you, I mean, the books, you know, Boys and Sex and Girls and Sex, I highly recommend. Peggy Ornstein wrote both of them. They're just, they're just phenomenal in how we talk about this. And kids today are so different. I mean, what their, their influences, what they're seeing, what they're watching. I mean, we know porn is a number one um, source of information for boys starting at age 13. And it only increases from there. And it's like, okay, anyone that my daughters, assuming their partners are going to be male, anyone they're going to be sexually active with, I do not want that to be that boy's idea like, of what's going to happen. No, right. hell no. I mean, I, I just, so I think, first of all, empowering our girls. There is, there is no more beautiful lesson than, than teaching a girl from a young age 
how amazing her body is, first of all. You know, I, when I teach these, um, I do these sex ed workshops or these puberty workshops, I've been doing them for years. And I always tell them, I'm like, you're not going to leave here being excited to get your period or thinking it's magical or beautiful, like I'm telling you, but you're going to hear it over and over because it really is. It really is an amazing thing. And I don't expect adolescents to agree with that, but if they can hear it and maybe hear it repeatedly and maybe when they're 20, 25, think, oh, this really isn't such a big deal. Like I get to, I get to have this whole cyclic experience um, that, that the other gender doesn't get to have. I don't know. So that's part of it. And I think teaching girls early about figuring out what they want. What do they like, you know? And again, is it awkward? Of course it is. You know, telling a girl to go home and look with the mirror and like, what do you, what do you got down there? What is going on? You know, what, what, what feels good? What doesn't feel good? What do you, you know, I mean, there are girls who really don't realize they have three holes. They're like, what? I, you know, and again, why would they know that? I right. mean, but learn about your body, you know, figure it out. What, what's happening and I strongly suggest that girls, and I tell this to my teenage patients, I'm like, you know, who are thinking about having sex, they want birth control. I'm like, it's not just the emotional piece. You know, that, that's a whole, there's a values discussion that I think happens in homes around that. I'm not here to tell you your values around, you know, when you should or shouldn't have sex. That's, that is so personal and so, you know, not my, my place. But I come at it more from a safety, um, you know, what make sure you're, you're ready for this in terms of emotional, because everything changes once you start doing that. Um, but make sure you know what you want. I mean, what, when you're ready and be ready to be like, hey, stop that, I don't like it. Or, hey, keep doing that. You know, be ready to be able to say those words. And quite honestly, if you can't say those words to your partner, you're not ready to That's have sex. such Such important and good advice. And yeah. these are really tough conversations to have with your Absolutely. children. Yeah. Um, so I love that you're doing these workshops so parents can bring in an independent party to yeah. at least get yeah. the conversation started. Right. right. And they um, are uncomfortable for a lot of parents. And I get that. Um, you know, another great resource, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with it, but is the Untangled book. You know, for yeah. if you have, I, I just, I love it. I love it so much. But it's that, you know, again, you know, breaking down the, the, you know, different ways that girls enter into, um, you know, adulthood. And, you know, there is, there are chapters on this, this topic and um, having those conversations that are hard. And I am fully, I mean, my middle child has decided to full on go into all of these changes and all of these things. Literally, I think the day the pandemic started, I was like, oh, thanks universe. This is awesome. Because <laughs> okay. I have a, I have a son first. Wait, we're like, we're in the same boat. That's so well, funny. Well, and ironically, I mean, our two girls used to hang out. Be like best friends. Preschool. I know. I know. So, so, and funny. it's like, you know, and I'm watching it happen before my eyes. And, you know, and again, like I know you, Marnie, I mean, my son is my oldest. It's a totally different ballgame. I mean, it, I, with him, it was more like, <laughs> you know, it's kind of that frontal lobe. Like, I'm like, hello, are you, are you paying attention? I could see the hormone shift happening. But it is different. That's, I guess that's the best way to put it. Very different. And, and there's, no, there's no denying. I just went for a run with a friend yesterday. And I'm like, I am going to be honest. 
I know everything that's happening is normal. I know it. And thank God, I'm grateful that it's all normal with her, but I'm sad. There is a piece of me that is like grieving right now. You know, I see this person just, so point of this conversation is, like you said, these conversations are hard to have, especially when it's nothing but an eye roll and a, oh, and a, I know, and mom, you talk about this too much. And I'm like, oh God, is she even listening? But I, I have to believe that with all the research we know, that girls listen to what their parents tell them. They may not acknowledge it. They might not look at you and go, okay, mom, you know, thank you. But they're <laughs> filing it away. I mean, they're filing it away for when they need it, you know, and they're going to need it. They're going to need it over and over again. So I think the conversations are so, so important. Communication with our kids, but communication, teaching them the communication with their partners down the road, it is key. And as soon as girls are in a predicament and they can, or not a predicament, I don't want to say like that, even in a healthy, good relationship, when they can say, you know what, I thought I was ready. I'm not back off for them to be able to stand in that power and that partner to be able to go, okay, yep. I hear you. I respect you. Great. Let's go for a walk. You know, and when we can get to that point, I think it's going to be just happier and healthier for all these relationships. And even having a son, we actually all yes. our firstborns are sons. Oh, you I know, love it. teaching your son. Absolutely. You know, the oh. respectful, hopefully yep. they know that. But you know, yep. like you said, they're watching porn, yes. they're seeing yep. all kinds of the even the music. If you listen to yes. some of the yes. language oh, and the and oh, my God. the words yeah. and the rap music, like there's a yeah. lot of disrespect towards women. And yes. so Yes. Making sure that they're understanding that this is not how you treat a woman. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and knowing that, you know, we know so many, there are a lot of people who aren't, they're not witnessing it in their, in their homes or their families or, you know, don't have um, that example set for them, you know, which is, so, you know, and we know that a lot of this happens, starts at home. And that's where I'm like, God, we got to get this conversation out there you know, I, I don't know exactly what the answer is. Schools, communities, whatever it is, it just, we have to get it out there well, so that everyone hears it. And I love what you're doing. And I think there was probably a generation where no one talked about anything. So it was just radio Absolutely. silent. So I love that we're having this conversation on this podcast and what you're yeah. doing. Krista, so I know you've done these workshops and given yeah. you've, you're pivoting a little bit with some of your workshops and taking them online. I'm just wondering for people out there that don't live in Minneapolis or the Twin Cities. Yeah. Are you going to do these workshops with teens online? Yeah, that's where a, can we find you yeah. and you know all that good stuff. Great question. As of right now, I'm, it's it's kind of in the works right now, trying to figure out the best way because like oh you know, I'm like well do, do teens part of part of what works well with the kind of teen you know the puberty set pack facts of life workshop is we incorporate movement and there's a, there's such a um, synergy, you know, that the, you know how it is like, uh, and it's the same thing, quite honestly, with the perimenopause workshops. When you hear one woman next to you say, oh, okay, does anyone else have this? All of a sudden mm -hmm. you're like, oh, validated. Like I have that too. You know, it's, it's the same thing with young girls. I'm trying to figure out if they would attend online and what that looks like. Mm -hmm. So we're working on it. I am doing um, a perimenopause, like Instagram live thing on, um, this coming Monday, actually, well, I don't know when this, this probably won't be, I don't know when this is going to be going to yeah. go live. It'll, so it'll be yeah. later in the summer, it'll but be later. Yeah. Yep. So, um, but I 
am doing some some um, Instagram live things on perimenopause, so we can you know I can always um, you know send you info on that later. Um, so yeah, as of now, nothing is set with the with the teen stuff, but I'm we're getting there. Okay. Well, good. and I know so that oh, we would love to host yeah. a workshop with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. With social distancing yeah. practices yep. in yeah, place, definitely. maybe outdoors. Yeah. Well, and summer's such a good time for that too, you know, because we can be out and absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So we'll make sure that we share that for people that are local. So where can they find you on Instagram and um, yeah? So um, my Instagram. I'm so. Me and me and social media. I'm 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 getting better, <laughs> but my Instagram is um, KB is in boy Margolis M A R G O L I S, and awesome. then uh, um, Facebook also is just my full name. It's Krista, and then my middle name Bernhoft B E R N H O F T, and then Margolis. Um, yeah, and I put, you know, I try to put stuff on Instagram. I for sure put it on there when I'm doing something. Um, and then I'll, I kind of link people to my clinics, um, Instagram also, because I'll do stuff there as well. So, And um, as we wrap up the interview, one question yeah. we like to ask all of our guests is, what, what does the art of living well mean to you? Oh, the art of living well. I love it. I mean, I think I think of a few different things. Um, you know, for me, the, the, probably the, the number one thing that, that comes to mind is, is honesty and living in your truth. Um, and that it kind of ties in everything we've talked about, you know, uh, teaching our children and having conversations with our friends. And, you know, in conversations with the patients, I see what do you want and what do you need and we all have that inner voice that I think we we don't listen to so often and if we all can just be still find just just listen you know in in silence and what what is our what is our deepest um, not just desire and I don't mean it to sound like um, uh, uh, extravagant I mean just what do we need what 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 is the universe? What is our body telling us? And we can get so much information from that. And then following that and doing our best to find what that means. And there are, we live in a time where there's, there are so many resources out there for people and, um, you know, helping each other find those is key. I love uh, that insight. I couldn't agree with that more. <laughs> Listen so, to your body and it will tell you what you need, you know? Yeah. yeah. So beautiful. Beautifully said. Yeah. Thank you thanks. so much, Krista, for coming um, on the Art of Living thanks. Well podcast today. Thanks, you guys. You. Thanks for doing this. I mean, it's, it, it's great. It's a wonderful, wonderful resource for people to have. I just love it. So thank you so much. And have a great day. Yeah, you too. Yep. All right. Bye -bye. Take care. Bye-bye. We are so excited that we created these fabulous new products for our listeners to support our podcast. Yeah, we have two new recipe books and one is curated for families. So there's lots of family friendly recipes that both kids and adults will love. I've made these recipes for my family and everyone enjoys them. And then we have a second recipe book for those that want plant-based foods and maybe you're already eating vegan or maybe you're just trying to incorporate more vegetables and plants into your diet. 
they both have shopping lists and they're made with ingredients that you can find at almost any grocery store. You don't need to go to like a specialty store to find these ingredients. And we also created a Minneapolis Healthy Restaurant Guide and we're really excited about it. We want to support our local restaurants and um, it's really meant for you to find little gems in town that maybe you didn't know about. It gives you a chance to eat healthy out in a restaurant. Um, the food is delicious at these places. They're sourcing local sustainable foods and we're just really excited to support our local healthy restaurant community. And then the last product that we created is our favorite Art of Living Well podcast water bottle. It's 24 ounces. You may have heard us talk about this on stories um, because it serves both hot and cold beverages. There's a straw, you can use it or use it without the straw and it's perfect for on the go at home, wherever, and it'll help keep you hydrated. So we'd love for you to try our products and support our podcast. As our listeners, you can head on over to our website, which is www.theartoflivingwell.us slash products and order yours today. Maybe even give one as a gift. And also just to let you know, we priced all of these products um, pretty low so that everybody could enjoy them. $7 per guide, $20 for the water bottle, and we'd love your support. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.